Hello lovelies and welcome back to Behind the Yellow Door podcast. Grab your cup of tea, get your glass of wine, whether you're going walking, whatever you're doing, I'm about to share what goes on behind the yellow door. Isn't that a manifest guys? Isn't that a total manifest? I want my yellow door. I hope you are all keeping well, whether it be sticking to your financial wellness or whatever journey you're going through. You know I love to go deep, deep, okay? Stay with it, stay on course. This next guest, the story is inspirational and they actually happen to be family and it's family business. So I'm literally, I'm bringing you behind my doors and talking about the things that we talk about. I'm so grateful for himself to be sharing this story with us and his story with us and, you know, and being as raw as he does, he did. I just want to give you a heads up that there is parts where we speak about suicide and I just think if this is going to be triggering for you, maybe you should opt out of this one. I just thought I'd give you a heads up. This is not and never will be mental advice, but it's all about education and this is what this podcast is about, educating ourselves. I hope you enjoy it. I really did and I really did learn a lot and there's a lot for me to take away. I hope that you get as much as I did from this. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Hi lovelies, welcome to Behind the Yellow Door podcast. I'm your host, Santa Zagaro. I'm the money mentor who is obsessed with all things financial well-being and our well-being in general. I frankly share the lifestyle behind the budget. And I love the idea of us being educated by having casual discussions that can help us in all areas of our life. Now, let's dive in. Hey Jay, how are you? Thank you so much for taking the time out to have the chat with me. No problem at all. Always free, so you're more than welcome. Always free. Okay. So we're going to get to that soon, but what I want to start with is a little bit about your financial wellness. I would love to know what kind of a money personality would you class yourself? I suppose I'd be a spender. Um impulse buyer really you know when you're on instagram or facebook and these ads pop up for for me it generally tends to be either footwear runners or uh work stuff whether that's just workwear or tools that would be my uh, guilty pleasure and would you click the link a lot of times always always always, always go in and see what deals or offers that they have you know and but in fairness i wouldn't always just spend straight away i would kind of put it on a, a list of stuff that I want to get down the line. Like I wouldn't always kind of purchase, I'd say before I got sick, probably yeah, when I was making more money, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd purchase straight away. Like, yeah. So if you were to give a percentage of a hundred. Nowadays, um, I'd say less than 10% of the time. Okay, that's uh, good. Tend to just window shop now, so that can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> you put in the basket and walk away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. So you're a natural spender. Would you say that you'd be an impulse buyer? Yeah, definitely. Or an emotional. I, I get very emotional when it comes to 
buying stuff. So I might be feeling a bit down or feeling a bit off. And I'll go, do you know what? Not even down, just as, say I wanted to clean my house. I'd get a whole reason to go and buy a new cleaning caddy or mm-hmm. cloths or all the stuff. Even though I have them there, it feels like a new a new change might be. And I know a lot of people are kind of like that, you know? Yeah, well, uh, no, I wouldn't say I'm an emotional buyer. Um, more of an impulse thing, because I, I always see stuff where I'm like, especially power tools, I'm like, oh, I could use that for work. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's something I could use to save me asking somebody else for their if I have my own type of stuff like you know yeah if I see my guilty pleasure has always been runners yeah so if I see a dope pair of runners I'm like I have to have them I have to have them and that's and that's that's it but you might not walk in or turn on the app or something thinking that you had to have them so that isn't yeah that is yeah. an impulse buy because it's weird because like I, I wouldn't say walk by a shop and see the same pair of runners and be like I have to walk in and have a look I, I just walk by. That's mad the power. Yeah, but on social media, when yeah. I'm on Instagram and I'm flicking through stories or just scrolling through, and every now and again you'll get a little pop up for like Boohoo or JD Sports or someone like that. And I'm seeing you know, you can block them. I know you can, but at the same time, though, I like kind of screenshotting <laughs> oh. stuff when I see it that I like and like I put it away for another day. If I forget what it is, then I yeah. have screenshots in my phone that I can always come back to, you know? Okay. When's the first time that you've noticed that? When's the first time that you've noticed, like, Jesus, they're out to get me here? Well, it wasn't that I noticed. It was Lindsay noticed <laughs> it. My, my fiance, she was like, you're such an impulse buyer because you give it out to me saying that I, I'm an impulse buyer, but you are. You literally, whatever you see, you, you, if you if you like it, that's it. You have to have it, like, and that's it. Like, so she kind of pointed it out to me first, and I was very resistant to it. But I was like, no, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. Yeah. In denial, but as more I thought about it and thought about the things that I've bought, then I'm like, actually, yeah, I am an impulse buyer. Like, yeah. Now there's a times where you can also be a scrounger as well, where I'm like, don't don't spend anything at yeah. all, like, you know. But but. If you if you see something that appeals to you, and yeah. at this point they know what appeals to you yeah, because if yeah. you keep clicking on the link, they know your yeah, data. Yeah, They're yeah, like, yeah. this boy likes this, this, this. Yeah, Let's keep throwing them at him. Yeah, that. it's all doing its work. So you've been through a bit of a life change recently. Yeah. Tell us about it. Um. So about two years ago, um, my kidneys failed, and how I found out about it was my. I started, eyesight started to go and work and um, it was kind of annoying me a bit. First, I started, my vision was a bit cloudy and um, it just happened that my boss was on, on, on the site that day and I spoke to him briefly and said, look, I'm going to take tomorrow off and go to spec service and get my eye checked out because it's really annoying me today. So he was like, yeah, no problem. Um, I hope I hope it's nothing serious, like, you know, because he suffers himself with um, a health problem that affects his eyes. So... Um, I came home after work and I was sitting here uh, eating my dinner, me and my fiance Lindsay, and watching Love Island, wouldn't you guess? Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and um, of two pictures there of the kids on the mantelpiece, and on my right eye, I just could not see. The vision was getting worse by the minute to the point that it was pretty much blank. So, um, as in, like, was it dark? Yeah, we've gotten to that point. Whoa, I didn't. I never asked you because I'm always afraid to hear <laughs> too much. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, I had rang the Ioneer, but the A and E department closes at ten o'clock, and because it was in the, the height of COVID, oh, that's geez, why they were yeah. restricting numbers. So, um, I suppose in the pit of my stomach, I knew something was wrong, 
but I was in I was in denial about it because I'd say leading up to that there was a few times where I was in work and I'd like drink a glass of water and I'd get sick literally like volatile vomit like wow and um, I started to develop cramps in my leg but I just thought I was getting old really from working in building sites you are like old that. <laughs> <Maybe 40. laughs> and um so i always kind of put it down to that and i'd come home like be tired because i start early mornings and gone from the house from six don't get back in till five six o'clock in the evening sometimes yeah and uh just you know long days they're getting on and i'd fall asleep on the couch but they were all signs of kidney failure so what happened when you looked at the mantelpiece and you saw the blank the blur so I kind of started panicking and yeah. uh, I had rang, um, it was like a private eye clinic that stay open 24 hours. And they were like looking for 350 euro just to come Jesus. in and get a scan done. So I was like, no way. So uh, Lindsay's friend, who was a nurse, um, she had texted and said, look, Duran's eyesight is going a bit funny here. Um, but you won't go to the hospital. Will you give him a bit of advice? So she voiced noted back and just said, look, get yourself down to James's. They can't turn you away, um, especially with your eyesight and stuff like that. So... Um, yeah, I jumped in the car in one eye and drove to Jesus James. Christ. <laughs> at, uh, oh my God! Ten o'clock at night and uh, went into A and E, which was jammers, and um, they called me in when it was my turn, and he did an eye test and said, "Yeah, there's definitely something up with the eye. I don't know if it's an infection or blah blah blah." And he took my temperature and whatnot, and. I was fine. He sent me back out and said, look... He sent you home or he sent no, you back into the room? No, he sent me back the into the, the waiting room and okay. said, look, um, we're quite busy tonight, so it could be a while before your results come back. Um, but as soon as they do, we will um, we'll call you in and explain what's going on. You went back out to the waiting room. And how long were you there waiting for then? Approximately about an hour. And the nurse came out. So I went in and she asked me a few questions, just like how close to the hospital do I live? So I said I lived about 10 minutes away and um, said, that's no problem. She said, look, the doctor on night shift um, wants to speak to you because your blood results came back quite alarming. Well, that wasn't bad. Like They came back in an hour. That's that's quick enough now, wasn't it? Well, yeah. when it's something serious or life-threatening, you know, people will give out about HSE and what in the hospital waiting times. But when it's something that's really serious, like for me personally and anybody I've ever spoken to, they act very, very quickly, very quickly. Okay, so you've you spoke, you're speaking to the doctor now, and she says to me, um, uh, Mister Garrow, um, your blood work is some of the worst bloods I've ever seen in twenty years of medicine. Jesus. And in what, in what way? So um, my creatinine levels were through the roof. They're about 1,250-something. Um, it's, th- it's a type of protein that's in your blood. Yeah. And my urea was through the roof as well. So What's some... your urea? I haven't a clue. So your urea is, what, is what's in your urine, but it's in your, your blood. It's in your What does urine. it do? It's a byproduct it's like a toxic waste. So it should be gone. Rid of. It yeah. should be gone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I thought I was like, Jesus. Okay. So you're in there and you're talking to the doctor and the doctor is literally going, your urea is, is the worst. He's telling you all the worst things. But what are you thinking? At that point, you kind of just go a bit numb in your head, you know? Um, and what were you thinking he was going to say then? Was he? Well, I didn't think it was anything life threatening. I, I just felt that maybe it did a little bit of damage somewhere inside my body yeah maybe I, something happened in work that i wasn't aware of or whatnot because they did ask me what i worked as i said a plumber 
and then they said, um, do you have any falls and walk or any accidents? Were you in a, a crash or anything like that or any bad knocks? And I said, no, not that I remember of. So he said, um, what have you been doing for the last couple of days? Because this was a Monday. So I said, I was actually in work today. I did the whole day. And um, the day before, I spent two hours in the gym with two of my friends. And on the Saturday, I went out and played a game of football as well, a full hour and a half game. But I do remember on the Sunday when we were warming up, me and, me and my friends to do the gym work, I was struggling. I was really, really tired. Okay. And I was saying to the lads, lads, I'm really burnt out here today. I don't know what's going on. And can I ask, like, before all of this, did you feel like a tiredness like that? No, never. never. You've never felt tired? like. No. Because I'm quite fit, naturally fit, as you know, I've yeah. played sports all my life. Yeah, I never ever felt that I was unwell or unhealthy. Um, what they described it to me in hospital was I was a, when they told me it was kidney failure, that I was a crash land case. So what that means is where you've had no previous symptoms and it just happens like bang out of the blue. So you're in there, the doctor's looking at you and the doctor's saying, look, we're going to keep it in. And I said, for the night. And she said, no, indefinitely till we figure out what's going on. Because it did find that they didn't even, this about 12 o'clock at night. They didn't even know it was my kidneys that had failed. Just they my just blood was stop- really bad. Like, okay. So um, all of a sudden then, there's a whole team of nurses around me. Um, they're putting all these patches all over my my body, my back. Um, hooking me up to life support machines had oxygen on my face and Jesus yeah at that point then that sick feeling in my stomach started to kick in then then I really knew something serious was wrong and did you ring Lindsay or did you even get a chance like what was she thinking at home well, like because we didn't we all just got a shock yeah well I had told her to um to go to bed that'd probably be in A&E for a couple of hours so okay. I said go to bed don't be worrying I'll give you a call when um when I know more and whatnot so she had actually gone to bed while I was in speaking oh, with the doctors and yeah. whatnot. So um, at that point, then they had to do a couple of different exams, scans to see for internal bleeding. Um, they scanned my eyes. My eyes had actually changed colour to yellow. What? Yeah, the whites of my eyes had turned completely yellow. Oh, God. And, uh, and that's usually a sign when someone, when your inside isn't working. Right yeah, well, what the doctor said to me, when that comes across, when they see that, it's normally three things they would look for. It's either liver, kidney, or you've probably ingested something poisons of some sort that doesn't break down properly yeah. in your body. So they were asking me do I work with chemicals and work and whatnot and I said yeah I do but nothing that would I would inhale or ingest like, yeah. you know, and I always wear gloves so I definitely rule that out myself like so you go to bed all that is done you didn't go to bed didn't even go to bed I'm still sitting there and what time is this now like okay this is you're saying it's 12 o'clock Lindsay but did you go to bed at all like when did know. you when did you get the worrying too much to even sleep yeah. so at this point now they were taking bloods they must have t- taken about 20 vials of blood from me because after they use a blood sample because they add chemicals to test for different things they yeah. can't use that anymore so they need as much blood samples as possible to test for various different things so they will ask me do i have like sickle cell anemia diabetes anything like that is there any family history of it i uh, said so my mom has diabetes but like i don't definitely don't have it and um so they went, look, we're going to go off and do some tests, more tests, and we'll see what happens when the labs come back. But in the meantime, like, just stay put. At this point, I'm, I'm an emotional wreck. I'm just... And then you have no one to call? I was just crying nonstop oh, for Jay. hours, hours on end. And, like, I don't think I've ever cried like this before. Like, I was getting 
migraines. I was crying so much and I just couldn't catch my breath or anything. And uh, the doctor said to me that basically all my internal organs were starting to slow down. Heart, lungs, liver, kidneys, everything. But they didn't know what exactly was wrong. So around, say, half five, six o'clock in the morning, then um, a nephrologist came to speak to me, which I hadn't a clue what a nephrologist was. You know now. <laughs> yeah, they basically specialize in kidney. They're a whole different department to themselves okay. in internal medicine when it comes to kidneys, bladder function and stuff like that. So um, he came to speak to me. He's actually one of the head people in Ireland. Yeah. For it, so I suppose I got the best. You were lucky. Yeah. So yeah. he he basically came to me and he asked me a couple of questions about kidney problems in the family, or if anybody has ever had kidney issues or transplants or kidney stones, anything like that to do with kidneys. And I said, no, not that I know of, not blood relative wise anyway. Really? Um, I don't remember him ever having kidney problems. When he was about uh, eight, okay. he was in and out of hospital. That kidneys. Have you still not told? I told this to Lindsay, you know. No, I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, but, um, but yeah, so um, he basically said, look, I'm going to cut to the chase. Um, here he says, basically what's happened to you is your kidneys have failed and you're a crash line case because you had no previous symptoms. It just happened out of the blue. Yeah. Um, so me not knowing anything about this, I said, um, oh, will they, will they bounce back? And he said, by the looks of things, no, with the how high your creatinine is, um, it doesn't look like I've been doing this a long time. He said, it doesn't look like it. it looks like it's chronic kidney failure. So I was Jesus. like, what's chronic? And he says, well, acute is where you might have eaten something wrong or drank something that didn't agree with you. Your kidneys fail because it can't process, but they'll they'll bounce back over, say, a couple of weeks to a couple of months. Chronic is there's so much damage done. You're going to be like that for the rest of your life. Oh, Jesus Christ. And you know what's mad, yeah? When you were telling me that, all I was thinking, when you told me this first, right, I was thinking, like, he's not even a mad drinker or anything. I thought it was something to do with that. Do you know? But what would have happened if, say, Lindsay didn't go, look, go and sort yourself out. What would have happened if you left it another day? Well, the doctor actually told me. Um, so, actually, what had happened, they didn't even realise that my eye was connected to my kidney. What happened with my eye was actually connected to my kidneys. Did these tests and said, look, we're going to, put you in a ward and we have to get you onto dialysis. What is dialysis? Basically, it's it's a, a blood transfusion where we clean your blood and pump it back into your body um, because your kidneys can't do that job anymore. And I didn't realise how life-threatening that was, so I was kind of like, well, what if I don't want the operation? And he said, honestly, I'll give you about four or five days and you'll be dead because your kidney function Ooh. is already at around 4%. He wasn't giving you, like, your choice was do it or die. Yeah, well, in fairness, like, he, you know, he was he's quite blunt of a, of a doctor, but I like that because he didn't beat around the bush. He and told he, me exactly what I needed to hear. But he didn't have time to do that. Yeah, he didn't he said, have time to be mammying it. Yeah, well, sense. he said to me, um, look, I know it's an upsetting time and whatnot, but we'll do our best to look after you you know you're here now and you're in the system so we're gonna we're gonna get you right and he said look we still need to figure out what's happening with your eye so we're gonna organize for you to go to the eye and air tomorrow morning um first thing and then when you come back in the afternoon you'll get an operation to get a dialysis line put in so i was like oh where where does that go and he said normally we would start off by putting it into your chest but in your case, because you, your, my hemoglobin was low, it was at four, so that's why my eyes had changed colour. It was anemic, ex- extremely anemic. Jesus Christ. Your hemoglobin should be 12, 12.5. Yeah. So he said, um, 
will have to go into your groin, to your femoral artery, but that can only stay in there for two weeks, otherwise you'll do permanent damage. And then once we, we can repair your bloods to where it needs to be, yeah. then we'll put the line into your chest because also we have to worry about um, antibodies, to, you know, from chest infections and stuff like that. So the morning came and I went to um, the INA hospital and went in there and did a whole load of tests and then they injected a, a dye into my arm, which basically pumps around your whole body. Yeah. And you can look through this machine and you follow like a target around the screen. The room is completely black and you do it with your both pairs. Of eye. You do it one eye first, then the next. And um, when I did it with the eye that I couldn't see out, but literally I could just ba- barely make out the green target on the screen. Yeah. And straight away, then the technician said, yeah, I see the problem. And then he was like, come over here and have a look. So we turned the lights on, print out of my eye. And what had happened was my blood pressure had gone so high. It ruptured. Jesus Christ. Ruptured um, a vessel in my eye and blood was leaking out into my iris. And that's why I couldn't see. Okay. So really, my eye saved my life. Your eye saved your life. Yeah. And the doctor even said that if that hadn't happened, you probably wouldn't have known. You probably just think you're tired. Or... I would have died. He said, honestly, if Thank that hadn't happened, God. you would have died in your either gone asleep and not woken up or collapsed in work one day or on the way home from work or something. And because with, with uh, kidney failure, what happens is because you can't filter out fluid out of your body. Yeah. You basically drown in your own blood and fluid. So obviously people listening to this, we all probably know somebody who's been affected by kidney failure or kidney issues on some level what would you tell somebody who's at home and they're like my body doesn't feel right i know initially you said 350 was a lot of money if you knew what you did now and you knew that okay it's 350 would you have spent it no problem think about how much you could hit a link and buy a pair of runners yeah well even before that not even the 350 so had i gone and taken a blood test 30 euros with my gp then i would have had the results back straight away that there was something going on before yeah. my kidneys failed and yeah. it probably would have kept me off dialysis because what i would say to anybody now that if you feel or it's not even even What's if you feel life? healthy yeah like the thing is one blood test every year just to, like if it's your car you're going to get your car nct to That's make sure it's roadworthy so i suppose for your body getting a blood test to make sure that your body's roadworthy for your life going forward is important because it's only from that like couple of mates, lads that I went to school with. One fella even said to me, I don't even have a GP. I've never gone to a GP. Oh, I wonder how many people are actually like that. You don't realise it. Yeah, and until that happened to me, he said, actually, I'm going to go tomorrow and sign up with a GP and go get checked out because you really don't know what's going on inside There's your no body. There's no harm in yeah, getting You can feel right, check. but literally in your body there could be something else going on. And with kidney failure or liver disease or other things internally, it's hidden illness. Because people can see me walking around the road and many people said, geez, you don't look like you have kidney failure. You look quite healthy. Yeah. You know, so it is a hidden illness. Yeah. And as, as I know, there was parts where you are really upset, like mentally, in the sense where I remember you were saying to me, you know, Zaya, I'll never get to walk her up the aisle. Or I remember at the start, that was how you're thinking. How are you feeling now? But is there any positives to come out of this? Well, yeah, I'm positive enough now. So what I will say is in the beginning, I was resistant to going to counselling and I didn't really understand the severity of what had happened 
and is still going on with me. I had changed quite a lot. Like I used to be quite a bubbly personality, very outgoing, very extrovert. And basically I got to a point where because it was COVID as well, I now realize I was immunocompromised. I was afraid to leave the house. I was afraid to see anybody. You know, I did put in a lot of work because I was physically weak. When I got out of hospital, I was like a skeleton. I know. I remember thinking, you remember that day I turned up to the, I turned up to the door and I was like. Like I was 18 again. Like, yeah. But I remember coming home from the hospital. Too too quick. Yeah. Well, that's from, well, that's the the true representation, representation of what I should look like. Yeah. Because when they did the dialysis, they took all that extra excess fluid off me that my body had been holding onto. Yeah. And then my body went back to its natural state, what it's supposed to be. Yeah. So, um, I remember coming home and literally walked into the house and I broke down crying. And um, Lindsay was kind of like, are you okay? And I said, I'm actually just happy to be at home because I didn't think I'd get out of the hospital. Honestly, didn't think I'd get out. I thought I was going to die in there. I was in hospital for two and a half weeks. And I just thought I was going to die in there because every day I was getting dialysis. Yeah. And it started off, it was like one hour, an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, three and a half hours, four hours, like long sessions. like. And I know that I obviously know, but how frequent are your dialysis now so it's every three every two days so it's tuesday thursday and saturday and they now it's four and a half hours dialysis and um, the reason being is because i have a quite a lot of muscle mass and you're i'm healthy enough fit like then it's a double-edged sword really because the fitter you are and the more muscle you have more protein your body creates once craves yeah. And that means then you're going to create a lot more byproduct. So a lot more creatinine, a lot more urea and stuff like that, which is going to elevate. So now I have to be on higher dialysis sessions and the pump speed now is up to like 400. So my clear, I was actually being under dialyzed. It was around 65%. And now I'm the blood, amount of blood that they clean over four and a half hours yeah is a hundred and what was it yesterday a hundred and four liters of blood was cleaned isn't it crazy what like you showed me a picture of the dialysis machine and i couldn't believe like how absolutely powerful our bodies are when you think about a a machine that a man has to make to purify your blood compared to your kidneys the size of them and the size of that machine yeah like you don't realize what what we we don't really realize what we have a lot of us go around and we're trying to lose weight to look good men like physically and externally but we don't really realize the kind of machine that we're walking around in yeah well every single day when you see a dialysis machine it's, it's huge it's size of a fridge yeah and when you think about it you have two organs the size of your fist is what your kidneys are yeah um in that- your body that's doing that job more than what dialysis machine does it's just every amazing, single day and even the dialysis machine only does one job which is clean the toxins out of your blood and pump that back in whereas your kidneys is doing that your kidneys control your white blood cells it helps create red and white blood cells yeah it functions together with your thyroid loads of stuff like your whole your emotions and all it's all connected to all that like so it it's does nuts, isn't i it? think it's like five or six jobs your kidneys actually does in your body so obviously you're putting a lot of time now going in for your dialysis. How's how's work? Because you're a plumber. Well, I've been out of work since July of last year. So 
this comes back to the whole counseling stuff. So, um, after my kidneys fell, I was out of work for six months, and um, one of my friends, gym instructor, basically helped me a lot with getting myself back to physical fitness. But I didn't look after the mental fitness side. Yeah. Uh, when I got back to work, it was fine. Once I was in a group of people working together, yeah. then I didn't have those thoughts in my head about stuff that was going on with me. and uh, I, I was focused and busy. But once that job came to a stage where it was kind of slowing down and I was the only person on the job, I had a lot more spare time to actually thought start then intruding into Can you give mind. us one thought? Um, well, I felt I was just being a burden towards my family um and everybody around me honestly um i think i've said it to you before i felt suicidal honestly and i was going through depression as well because um i basically was on top of a roof one day and i was basically like i should just jump and end it because i just felt that i was my illness was holding everybody else back from Mm. getting on with that life it's just way because i just felt i was being a burden to other people do you know? Yeah. And I just kind of felt at the time it'd be better if I wasn't here. And like, I've never thought about suicide. Or even before all this happened, I used to kind of have this mindset of anybody that does that is selfish. Yeah. You know, they're not thinking about their family. But until I was in that stage myself where I found myself in a difficult position, my back was against the wall. My life was no longer going to be what it used to be. And it's never going to be what it was before. And There'd been nights where I was sitting here and Lindsay be gone to bed, the kids be in bed, everybody, because I struggled to sleep as well with kidney failure, you get insomnia as well. And I would literally be thinking, like, I'll just jump in the car and drive out to Dunleary and drive off the pier. That would really start getting them thoughts into my head, really. And and that, even talking, I know, like, I know I've had a few phone calls with Lindsay and stuff. Even talking, you need to go and talk to somebody who is, equipped to help your mind yeah well uh, the thing is and non no judgment yeah well i'd say thank god for three people Lindsay, my mom and my best friend um because he suffers with his health as well my best friend and he understands what it what it's like to be it's, it's something as serious as me so and he always said to me even when i was in hospital he would ring me text me he knew every day even yeah. now he'll text me all the time how are you today bro I'm saying a prayer for you, you know, it's going to happen for you, yeah. you're going to get your transplant, blah, blah, blah. And again, Lindsay and my mom were able to see the signs that I no longer was the person that I used to be. Yeah. You know, and in fact, mom was on my back quite a lot about, you know, go and speak to somebody, go and speak to a counsellor. What's happened to you is serious and it's not normal. And you need to get that off your chest, like speak about the things that how you feel and what's going on with your your mind like i i think that's um it's kind of weird in a sense because i always looked at you in our family like when i was really low in myself it was you that you know that was the one that was like okay there wasn't a lot of hey let's talk and hold hands and kumbaya but it was like don't ever go like that again without telling me or calling me. If you need money, if you need help, just call me. Yeah. Like, it's not a big... We don't have to have a big discussion. I'm just here. So I've always seen you as a strong person. I was shocked. I think I had a conversation with my mom, and I just did not see... 
because every time I spoke to you, you were just like so informative, kind of knew what was going on. So I always just thought that you just had, like you were just still like just this pillar of strength, even though you're my younger brother. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I suppose it's a, you know what, it's a man thing. Yeah. That even if the house is on fire, you try to be like, no, it's fine. Everybody yeah. remain calm. It's, yeah. You know, and I kept, in my head, my thing was like, nobody cares about your problems because everybody has problems. And I understand that everybody has their yeah. own individual battles and shit they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Nobody knows behind closed doors what who's going through what. So I always felt like my burdens are nobody else's burdens my own i think that kind of awareness is is good but it's also so bad yeah because i internalized so much stuff that i was feeling really well i internalized a lot of it to the point where it was suffocating me that's where um i'd say me and you are very alike with the internalizing don't want to burden but that's that's how you get to the point of having you know suicidal thoughts and thoughts like that yeah and also this is going to come on to something else now as well. I feel that, I don't know if it's you, I was always raised to be strong. You know, I always put my best, strongest, smiliest foot forward. And I feel like sometimes when you admit that something's wrong or you admit that, look, I'm not, maybe I'm not as strong as I always thought I was. Yeah. There's a level of going, well, what do I do now? And then the walls start crumbling down because you could build so much on strength. Well, for me, I think the best thing, as I said, having the right people around you yeah. in your circle of friends and family that support you. Know, you know who the important people are when stuff like this happens yeah. because people will rally around you. People who are really close to you, shame and going and speaking to somebody. Yeah. We mightn't understand what you're going through, but there are people there even just for you to talk, they'll just listen. Yeah. So what eventually happened when I was in work and I, I had that kind of, uh, I had a really bad day and I was like crying nonstop in the car. Jeez. Um, I just rang my boss, the office, and I just said, look, I'm, I'm going to go home and take some time off because I'm not I'm not feeling right. So I literally came home, I went straight to the GP, rang the GP, went straight up, went in to see the GP and broke down in his office. And uh, in fairness, he's excellent because he said to me, do you know what? That's the actual right response because every time you've come to me and I've asked you, how you been? You've always been like, oh, I'm fine, I'm yeah. fine. Because I expect you to be like this because what's happened to you is it's a life-threatening situation. You basically escape debt. And and then a life-changing debt yeah. as well on top of that. And he said, if you were coming in here all the time and telling me you're fine, you're okay after what you've gone through, I would be very worried. But the fact that you've come in here now and you've broken down crying, and whatnot, you're really exposing your emotion. I can see this is how you're supposed to be when something like this happens. And uh, through him and the IKA, they were able to sort me out with IKA. For those who don't know what that is, Irish, Irish Kidney Association, and um, they basically look after look after me for um, counselling. They do a lot of great, great work and support and stuff like that. Um, because I just rang them one day, and the the main girl, who I think is someone that follows you on your story, and she connected me with somebody local, uh, counselor, which I go to now once a week, and been able to get everything off my chest, all my fears about my kidneys, about whether I was going to survive and stuff like that. And he's he's amazing. I cannot stress that he's amazing. And helping me to cope if I can't sleep, you know, 
he said like oh you know get up and write down your thoughts because you're getting them out of your head then you're clearing your mind write down your thoughts and maybe read them back to yourself in the next day to help you Love get that. those things off your mind Love like you that. know or take a moment to breathe or focus on simple things like of just being with your family and stuff like you know just focus on the simple joys um do you know what there's been an affirmation that i've been saying and i'd say for anybody who's listening it's kind of a nice one and it kind of gets um when you're only starting your counseling journey or any kind of journey where you're facing yourself for who you are and what you are in the mirror um an affirmation that I'd say, I learned this from Prince EA. He has an Instagram page, social media. I really love him. He says, every day and in every way, I'm getting better and better. And it's just, it's a nice one to say in the night. It's a nice one to say in the day. Every day and in every way, I'm getting better and better. And I think that's something that really helped me at the start of my counseling journey. Because you're going into a room where you don't know what is going to show up there's things that you might have had locked away for years and never even knew and you could be opening doors and it's just nice to know that at the end of it you're going every day in every way i'm getting better and better and that's all you can do yeah that's all you should aim for well i feel that um our generate like our parents generation didn't talk about stuff didn't expose if they were going through stuff yeah or whatnot but i think our generation or even the generation after us now like say people in their 20s are very open towards speaking honestly about how they feel on a day-to-day basis without judgment and you should be able to sit down with your best friend or people in your family that you're really close to and be able to speak honestly without judgment you know we should all be able to sit down because when you think about it in life there's very few times where you are truly happy i mean ecstatically happy probably when your kids are born yeah maybe getting married you know or seeing your people in your family that you're close to achieve things yeah generally you go through a stage of life where you're content and you probably have more bad days than you have good days but i think this is where i'm at the point now in my journey where i really think that when i wake up and this is this has only been a week in so i'm really noticing the difference because I'm off. I'm off um, antidepressants and everything now. So I'm. I'm trying to. I'm going solo. So I'm trying to see what other ways can I get this brain imbalance to balance out. Yeah. It could be the case of choosing your know, what emotions do I want to feel today, and I don't. I do think happiness isn't fleeting because in happiness you have contentment as well, and that's a part of happiness. I think joy is fleeting. You have those moments of joy when you see a child. It's just like a miracle yeah. coming to you. Or you're marrying someone that you love and it's like, wow. Yeah. This is real. Like, wow, I'm this far. You, you're signed down in a house that you've been saving for. You know, those moments of joy. But I think happiness is something that we can all kind of men- maintain and carry through. But you, you choose how you feel. But it's, it's a lot of work. and I'm even noticing that in my own journey. I thought if I just paid off my debts, if I just started going to counselling yeah, and doing all that. Stuff. But life, and I think I think the biggest mistake is we think that life is, is meant to be easy and it's meant it's to not, be roller coaster. Life challenge. is meant to be hard. It's meant to be a learning lesson. Well, it's it's, not, it, it also, na- you, you don't navigate a straight path. There's all loads of meanders that you're going to take in yeah. different routes to get to different um, end goals and whatnot. And for me, having, like, to be honest, since 
my kidneys fail and I have this dead scare, like it's opened my eyes to a lot of things of, that I used to think were, were important. That's not really anymore. For me now, the most important thing to me, I put it over money and over anything is time. It's the only thing you cannot get back. Wow. You can lose money and make money. When time is gone, it's gone. You can never get it back. It's always moving forward. It doesn't stop. It doesn't go backwards. So for me now, every every day is about making the best. I get up in the morning. I may not feel 100%, but I'm like, I'm here. I'm here. I get to open my eyes another day. It's another day closer towards getting a transplant. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And if I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad day. I now understand and realize it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel down you're not weak you know nothing like that you're just you're human really yeah every day in every way i'm getting better yeah. and better i know you said it's not about money and that's what, that's how i thought okay i really thought I, and i i really do i i'm with you with the time i do value time but i also know that we trade a lot of our time for money yes and that makes me so passionate about how you manage your money because i feel Money is important in the sense that it is. It's a tool. It's a tool, but it can make you in the sense that it can make you. It can make a difference between you achieving happiness and not in the sense that. Well, obviously, if you're irresponsible with it. No, but a poor single mother at home who's really struggling and mentally struggling, don't have the money, cannot understand, cannot get a babysitter so she can go and get that walk that she really needs on her own. Yeah. It's a difference between well, that or get the getaway that you need. It's a difference between what money can do to you to get you to the point of going, okay. Because when you have none at all, you realize how bad, and not just a poor single mother, anybody, yeah. well, here's when, the they, thing. when they don't have it. But how has that disaffected you financially? In I'm the sense that... Crippling. Yeah? It's crippling because... I've gone from earning really good money yeah, to now getting 200 euro a week of social welfare, illness benefit. And just to put it into perspective, I end up getting two gum infections in the space of a week, which cost me 90 euro to get my a deep clean and another 69 euro because it was an emergency dental appointment. That's, there's the 200 euro pretty much gone. Wow. And then when you think about your outgoings, like what kind, obviously you have two kids. Two kids, two cars, which I need a car. My partner needs a car because she works in town and she has to go into the office twice a week. And I need a car for collecting the kids from school. I also need a car for getting to work as well, because being a plumber and working construction, you're constantly moving between different sites or whatnot. And then you have all your tools that you need to bring with you, you know? So, um, but financially it's been crippling. Um, and I think luckily enough that my partner has a good job because if she didn't, we would struggle to keep a roof over our heads, really, honestly. In the sense that the rental market right now or? Yeah, well, when, when we started renting, it was like 1100 and I think it's up to like 1540 or something like that now. Like we're 10 years later, we're still renting. But before my kidneys failed, we were actually getting ready to buy a house and we were close to getting the money but then i ended up getting sick out of work in hospital hospital bills bills for different medication and whatnot and all our savings basically got eaten into like big time like you know so now i can't even get a mortgage because i'm not working and also 
because of my health, they won't even entertain me now. You know, I can never get health insurance or anything like that. Like, again, these are things that I used to quite worry about quite a lot. And now I'm like, it is what it is. You're adjusting. Yeah, I'm just getting getting on with it. And do you think that, like, this is something that, oh God, um, do you think that you're going to be able to maintain working as a plumber? Well, yeah, so at the moment, I just got approved for what's called partial capacity benefits. So you have to be on um, illness benefit for a minimum of six months before you can qualify for it. So what it is, is that because I can't work full, say, five, six days a week because dialysis, um, I can only work three days, which is Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So what happens is that they transfer over, I think, up to 75% of your social welfare money on top of whatever you make, whatever you earn for the days that you can go to work so that you're not... Like, it's still not great to what I was making before. Yeah, but it's better. It's better. So, basically, all I need to do now is speak to my boss and get a a date when I can go back to work and clearance from my GP. And once I have that, then I just send them that date in the social welfare and then that's it. It's, it's, It's all done. But it's taken nearly two years to get that because one of the things that happened was when I was in hospital in James's did no social welfare officer to speak to and would most like I, I really don't know about this would most hospitals have yeah well they only got one now because I know one of the managers where I am in for so the clinic I'm in is called a, it's a satellite unit it's an independent clinic but if I was under the hospital say in uh, Tala getting dialysis they have a full-time uh, welfare officer in there. And you basically just come, ask you a couple of questions about your health, whatnot. You have all your medical records, tick a couple of boxes and send it off and job done. But I so basically because had... Of where you, because of where you are? Yeah, so I had to go and do all this stuff myself. Like, you okay. Know? So in, in, and did you find that a bit of a trial or...? Well, yeah, that also led to the depression that I was dealing with as well and the stress because basically I started losing my hair and all, like with the stress. They were just kept refusing um, my applications. I'd ring up and ask what I could get assistance-wise. And it was like, oh, the yes is a no scheme. I'd fill out the form, send it back in. And they denied it, saying, because I'm not available to work um, for the full five days, I can't avail of that. But then I was like, well, that's what you guys tell me to fill in. And now you're yeah. telling me so- I can't. So I was like, I had to go through all these different hoops and loops to finally get approval. So now they deem my, my, my case as severe. So do you think that for somebody, do you think that your pride took a hit as well? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Especially when you've worked hard to get where you are in life. Do you know, like like an apprenticeship is not easy by any means. And anybody who says it is, is I don't know what they're talking about, is hard. You have to graft. You have to put in the time to study, to pass your exam. So, and do all these different other, gain all these different skills yeah. over time. Like I'm coming, what, 20 years nearly. You know? Oh, they said that, remember? <laughs> so you've basically gone for a stage where you are physically fit, financially stable, going in the right direction to attain the things you want in life, like a house, going on holidays, which I haven't gone on holiday now in probably three, four years, haven't left the country. Yeah. And um, now I'm at a stage where I can't work full time. My health is up in the air. Yeah. And, well, you can go on holidays, but there's a lot of logistics involved in organising, getting dialysis. Kind of not work, so it's not, not really worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm just kind of like, no, I'll just stay poor. And But luckily enough, we've family friends that 
have holiday homes and stuff where you can, you can utilize yeah, that. You can pay, which we went to Wexford last year, which was great, and I was just coming back for dialysis, like yeah, you know. But it's it's simple things like that, or even. I couldn't have a shower because I had a dialysis line in my chest and you can't get it wet because the risk of infection is so high. And if you do get an infection, it's too late when you even yeah. realise that it's there. So I had all that in the back of my mind. Luckily, thank God now they, they took out the line out of my chest. They don't need it anymore because the one in my arm works perfectly now. Um, but just being able to have a full body shower, when I had that shower, I was crying. So it was like the little things in life. Yeah, it was, was like just so two big. years I wasn't able to have a shower yeah. properly. It was like a contortionist trying to not get that thing wet in my chest. And now I'm able to actually go in the shower, let the water hit me head, roll down my back everywhere and not have to worry about getting an infection or going into hospital and be on antibiotic for weeks and then. Like, yeah, know? so even though the social welfare aspect of it. Yeah wasn't a positive one for you i wanted to ask something do you think there's a stigma about it like for you like you said i was going the right direction i'm a plumber i'm doing everything right i'm saving for our house we're on the way obviously you know physically and an illness comes and it interrupts that but do you think then having to go to them then and go look i need help was that a hard thing for you and do you think it's a hard thing for people yes because honestly when it comes to social welfare I think people that work in there or they have to deal with the public lack empathy some. and compassion. Anybody I've ever dealt with. But, but that's some people. I had to complain even. And even when I rang and complained about me not getting any assistance, you can clearly, I sent in everything, all my doctor's certs, letters from doctors, everything to show I'm not lying. I'm really, I'm this sick. Yeah. And you get someone on the phone and it's just like, oh yeah, we understand. And like, but you don't understand. You don't care. Like you're not actually trying to help me. You're basically just fobbed me off. And that's what was happening. I was just getting fobbed off. Do you think that off. maybe they need to retrain or they maybe need to have a special section for people who are actually sick? Because well, I've heard things from carers in the same light yeah. where they're like, I don't want to be off to care for my child. I yeah. have to. This is something that life dealt me. Yeah. And that's the cards I was dealt. That's yeah. the dice land. And you have to get on with it. But I feel when you go in and or you ring and you first and foremost is show some compassion to the people and understand the situation. Because, and the shame. That's, that's... Yeah. No, I, I can't imagine that anybody enjoys being on the social welfare, especially when you are doing quite well in life. I can't imagine anybody in join that having to go and sign on and the least you can do is just show a little bit of empathy and compassion for what that person's going through because it's taken a lot for that person to actually get up go in because your nerves are racking going oh, i wonder will they approve me yeah what it was the same when i had to fill out for my medical card it took six weeks to get it because every time i sent something in they were like this is missing that's missing and i'm like i've sent you that already five times and luckily after six weeks, I rang in again to complain after getting numerous emails that this was missing, that was missing. And I got a lovely lady and she said, look, here's my direct email. Send me on all of your information again to my email directly. And I'll have it. So as soon as I get it, I'll pass it straight on to my medical officer and it'll be approved. I guarantee you that. So this is why when you said all, I'm yeah. saying it's never all because there's always some, sometimes, especially when you're in your darkness as well. Yeah. And you're getting just negative acts and everything. You could feel like that. But sometimes all you need is just that one bit of light. Yeah. And maybe she needs to spread her wings. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> maybe they need to be promoting the right people, yeah, you know? True. But who, again, you know, I always felt that 
in those jobs, I understand it can be stressful dealing with certain people and whatnot. I've, I've been in social welfare offices. I've seen how some people can carry on. With it, and it is a stressful job. I, I understand that. Um, well, do you but think there's I, a lot of box ticking as well? We just yeah. want to tick the box, get, get out here. Yeah, I think if you if someone rings up and says, this is my situation, and they provide you with all of the information and has been upfront and honest about their their, their personal stuff, then no questions asked. I think, yeah, Jesus. And when you think about, like you said, like your mental health took a toll for that. Yeah, because like, it was constantly, like, and not only was I dealing with all these things with the social welfare I was dealing with, then I also had things that were going on with my health because my thing in my arm stopped working. Yeah. Then you're trying to adjust it. Yeah. Even your diet, like, everything, like, everything. yeah. And I was getting all these different tests done. I had to go back in for other operations to fix my arm get things removed from my body, yeah. different tests, this, that, that, and the other. Because nobody even knows still what caused my kidneys to fail. Nobody knows. They're still doing tests to figure out what happened there. So you're dealing with so much stuff is coming at you from so many different angles. And then you also have the financial side that's on top of it. Everything else that's yeah. just killing you. And like I said, luckily enough, my partner works a great job. And, and that's kept, but it us, is stressful. kept us afloat. But, but I've always stressful. thought... For others out there who aren't as maybe fortunate, yeah. how much worse it is for them, like yeah, you know. And that's that shows your empathy. Yeah. So fast forward to now, yeah. very positive. We're in a, a positive space right now. Very. <laughs> very. Jaren is. We're we're preparing for a wedding in the family. Yeah. Yes, yeah, talking to your mom yesterday. She's giddy. Giddy <laughs> when she came down and, and showed us uh, outfits and everything. Like yeah. she well, is giddy. I suppose with... I'm carrying on the tradition of being the trendsetter in the family and all you know first grandchild first granddaughter and first to get married so you know the jesus bar... who's counting i didn't think you were counting <laughs> like... <laughs> the bar is set very high so you know so i want to end this on you know because you are a positive person and i know that i think this is really important for people listening to that and um, that jaren is just telling you real this is the real life account. There's no point pretending and going, oh, it was grand and I went through that and <laughs> it was good. But look at me now. I'm a strong, tough man. I think toughness and, and strength is actually being able to acknowledge moments where you might not be prepared for it, but it's how you come through it. I, I always say there's never a point in anybody's life where they had to go through, they fought through something and end up regretting fighting through it. Like there isn't. That's how we learn and that's how we adjust in life. There's no point, you know, being pretending that things aren't happening. Yeah. I would love to know, and this is a question I ask every single person mm -hmm. who does this podcast, because I love music. I love a good tune. Same. What's a song that has been getting you through, you know, when you're like feeling a little bit low, you're like, you know what, I'll throw that in my ears right now and that'll get me going. Damien Marley. Old slave mail. Probably listen to it nearly every day. Even when I'm on dialysis machines, I stick my headphones on and I'll just have music playing away in the background and I'm just constantly searching for new music and adding to my playlist. But that song in particular from the first time I ever heard it, probably about four or five years ago, then I've, I've fell in love with it. So Damien Marley, Old Slave Mill. Guys, we're going to put that onto the Behind the Yellow Door podcast um, playlist. You'll be able to get this in Spotify, but there'll be a link as well there in the show notes here. So if you want to see what songs our guests have been recommending and I've been recommending from time to time, that are motivating. And also, it'll just give you, you know, the kind of people that listen to, to this, we're a little bit older in age and sometimes we forget 
There's great music and great songs out there. Keep us in tune. Keep us in check um, and see what's out there. Jaren, thank you so, so much no for just enlightening me. And I'm sure you've enlightened so many other people that listening. And I think if anybody's going through a hard time, I hope you get inspiration from this. Everybody has to deal with stuff, you know, and you find out a lot about yourself when your back is against the wall. You find out how resilient you are and your ability to overcome things. So, again, um, yeah, thank you for coming and listening to my story of the last two years. Thank you for being honest. No problem. Thank you so much for tuning in to Behind the Yellow Door podcast. If you're interested in further information on the topics that we spoke about today, please refer to the show notes. Don't forget to hit the follow button on this app to help us grow our podcast and reach more amazing people just like you. Finally, I'd appreciate you leaving a review on whatever platform you're listening on and sharing the podcast with family and friends as it supports us to grow and reach new audiences. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Peace and light. Hi guys and welcome back to the Behind the Yellow... No.